Welcome to the Reformation Over Revival podcast. Um, we're diving into Romans chapter one today. I'm excited to take a look at this. Uh, I'm really enjoying going through Romans, reading Romans again for the, I don't know what time, but it's always awesome and rewarding. So we're going to hop right into Romans today. Hope you've been reading it and enjoying it yourself. So let's get started. All right, so um, I want to hop into Romans 1. Uh, this is the first chapter of our reading together. Uh, if you missed the summary or the synopsis of Romans, that should be the last episode um, before this one. So go check that out before you start this one so you can kind of stay up to date, stay checked in, and uh, kind of know where we're going with this podcast and uh, what we're doing kind of for the rest of the couple weeks here. So Romans 1. Um, I'm just going to kind of do an overview. There's a kind of, you have these four parts of Romans one. You have Paul's greeting where he just kind of tells, you know, Hey, I miss you guys. I love you. I'm trying to come see you. And just kind of the normal, how we would um, say, Hey, what's up? And he kind of explains who he is. He lets us know that he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Um, He's a sent one as apostle means for Jesus. And he is uh, establishing and founding ministries and churches and preaching the gospel. And uh, he he says a couple of things here that I do want to point out, though, in the beginning. And uh, I'm going to read them and then kind of reference them for a minute. And then we'll we'll go from there. So uh, in, in one, two and three. So chapter one, verses two and three, he says, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So physically, he was literally the heir um, or the the seed, the grand, great, 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 great grandchild of David. And he says, um, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So we see here that Jesus is who the scriptures and the prophets were speaking about. This is like a a central point to the gospel message, especially for the Jews. So, you know, whereas for the Gentiles, we're just like, man, we were lost in our bondage and we were in chains and we weren't God's people and we couldn't be God's people. And then Jesus came and he saved us. And it's like, you know, we just kind of have this opinion of it as like he came, he died, he was resurrected for us. This is amazing. Whereas the Jews, and, and we should have this opinion um, as as Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians, we should have the same opinion but sometimes for us, it doesn't hit the same way because historically, um, we may not have grown up in the same environment. So for these Jews who have been waiting for the Messiah, they've been waiting for generation after generation after generation since Abraham for the promise that God gave him to be fulfilled for the king to come, for the lamb to come and be slain. And they've been waiting and waiting. And the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they've been prophesying that this king is going to come, this savior is going to come, the government's going to be on his shoulders. You know, he's going to be all of these things. And Paul is saying in the beginning here, he's saying, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. 
called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, the gospel of God, which God promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he's saying, these, this is who the prophets spoke about. This is what they've been talking about. Go read the Old Testament. This is who they're talking about. This Jesus that I'm preaching. He's saying this gospel they talk about in the Holy Scriptures, it's concerning Jesus. Now, this was revolutionary. This is what Paul was killing people for saying, you know, years and years before. Before, when Paul was a Pharisee, if, if you were caught by Paul saying that Jesus was the Son of God, Jesus was the Messiah, Paul was going to make sure you died. And now, Paul is proclaiming this is the gospel message. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And he says in one, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he, says it's, it's, he puts this emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus as the validation for Jesus' deity. He's like, because Jesus was raised from the dead in power by the Holy Spirit, that's how we know he's the Son of God. He says he's the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Anytime that power is referenced, especially power and the spirit of holiness referenced in the same scripture, I always think about Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. There is something to be said about this power that comes upon you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you receive the Spirit, this power that comes into your life, it is the power to preach the gospel. It's the power to proclaim it in boldness like Acts 1-4. It's the power to proclaim it through the giftings you've been given. It's the power like uh, um, we're going to learn about here in Romans 8 a little bit later on. It's the power to even understand the gospel. And it's what Matthew and Luke reference multiple times, Mark and John even. It, it's the power for us to even understand the gospel message. Jesus is like, I've been teaching you guys and you have no idea what I'm talking about. But when this spirit comes into you, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the helper comes, like John says, you're going to begin to be led into all truth. And so that same spirit is the spirit that not only led Jesus, but resurrected Jesus. And that's how we know if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And Paul says this later on as well. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, none of this is even important. This means nothing. But it's because Jesus was raised from the dead that we know he is the son of God. Then we go into Romans 1, uh, 8 and 11, really 8, 11 and 12. And we kind of see... Um, Again, in this, Paul's feeling towards the Romans. He's like telling the Roman church his opinion of them. So again, this is not as much, yes, there is some correction that happens in this book, in the whole book of Romans. But mostly this is Paul saying, look, you guys are awesome, but we got to get this clear. Like this is the gospel. And he's preaching the gospel to them. And he basically starts out like that in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, where he's talking about like, this is the message that I'm proclaiming to you. He's referencing the validity of the gospel and Jesus as the answer to the Old Testament writings. Like those are all speaking of Jesus is basically what Paul's saying. So then he goes to the 1, 8, and then 11 and 12, and he talks about the faith of the Roman church. And he says in verse 8, he says, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
Now, that's a crazy statement for somebody to make. Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. What an impact, what a, what a power the faith of the Roman church has that Paul is saying everyone in the world's talking about it. You're so faithful. Your faith is so strong. You guys are living it out. You're fleshing it out. You're giving substance to things that haven't been seen. You're hoping for things that haven't been seen. You're giving, you know, substance to those things that are that we're hoping for and looking for. And he's like, you guys are faithful and you're so faithful and you're so full of faith that the whole world is talking about it. And then he does something that's really cool in verses 11 and 12. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is verse 12, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So that genuine faith of a believer is this like powerful tool for encouragement for the body. And so like, as I'm reading this, I'm asking myself this question, Am I, do I have like world renowned, encouraging faith when, when other believers are around me, are they just like, man, your faith is encouraging. And now my faith is going to encourage you. And it's like this back and forth of believers of our faith, encouraging, motivating, elevating each other to the point that people all over the world are talking about our faith. Is that how I am living. Is that how you are living? Because that's how we should be living. So as we move on to the next, uh, I'm looking at like uh, chapter one, verses 15 through 17. Paul says this, so as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So he kind of says, look, I'm getting ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready to preach the gospel. And then verse 16, which so many of us are familiar with, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So he's showing us this power of this is what I'm getting ready to teach. Now, this is why I'm going to teach it so boldly, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Again, 116 makes me think back to 1-4, which makes me think to Acts 1-8. This power that is received when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, and now I'm not saying you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in order to be saved. I don't think that's true. I think that those are two separate experiences. I think they can happen at the exact same time. I think you can be saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same moment. I think we see that happen scripturally, but we also see it not happen at the same time scripturally. But the the point that I'm making is going back to like John, where the um, the understanding that the Holy Spirit brings is this understanding of the gospel. And so it's the power, the gospel message is the power unto salvation. So if we preach the gospel message, then it brings power because the Holy Spirit uses it. And in order to understand the gospel enough to preach it and proclaim it as a witness, 
Acts 1.8, I have to have the Holy Spirit. So I'm proclaiming this gospel message and Paul is preaching the gospel. And there's no, I mean, the reason that Romans is included in our scriptures in, in the Bible is because it was written under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that Paul is writing this message of the gospel. And it's through that same power that we can preach as individuals that message of the gospel. So in 115 through 17, I'm really looking at what Paul is about to teach and then why he's about to teach it. So then what I would say in my life, what I'm looking at through this is, okay, what am I teaching with my life? Am I teaching the gospel? And if I'm teaching the gospel, why am I teaching the gospel? Do I understand it? Do I understand what is really going to happen? What the capabilities of the gospel message are? Because if I understand those, then I am excited. Like Paul says, this is so much as that I am ready to preach the gospel to you. And he says, because I'm not ashamed of it. I can't be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. So if we really get that, if we really understand that, we carry within us that same vigor and excitement that Paul does where we're like, okay, here it is. We're going to preach this message, this beautiful gospel truth. Why are we going to teach it? Because it's the power of salvation. It's the, it's the power that brought my salvation. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead in the glory of the father but it's also the power of the salvation of all those that I preach to whom the Holy Spirit impresses himself upon through the gospel message. So I need to be excited to teach this. I need to be excited to share this. And so as we continue to read, pray for that excitement to overcome you. Pray for that, that vigor that Paul is starting with and start with that. And then as the Lord begins to explain the gospel in its entirety, at least in its most complete form in the scripture, um, begin to just read this and let that excitement swell up within you, right? So the last uh, section here is Romans 1, 18 through 32. And there's so much um, that I could go into. There's so much that we could break apart here, but that's not my goal in this, is not just to preach a sermon. My goal is just to give an overview and some of my takeaways um, from it as well. But that's, you know, it's not a, this isn't a Sunday morning service. I just want to kind of give you a, some thoughts, some um, points to look at as you as you look at the word here. Um, but a couple things as I'm looking at this is that, you know, Paul, especially verses 18 through 32, that's what I'm talking about here, 18 through 32, Paul is speaking and referencing in a way that establishes why the old covenant Jews were in the mess that they were in. So as he's, as he's addressing this church, he's saying, look, this is what happened. This is why we need the gospel message. We're, the wrath of God, this is verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19 says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. Now, this was true of the old covenant Jews. This is also true of us as new covenant believers. Now, then if you keep reading in that, you will see what happens to the mind, what happens to the life, what happens to the spirit of those who have had the truth revealed to them. 
but have suppressed it down, pushed it down, ignored it. And like verse 26 says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Verse 28 says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness. Then he names a good list of unrighteousness from verse 29 to verse 32, really. He starts naming out these things of what unrighteousness is, what it looks like. So we have this fruit. So I would encourage you, if you're looking at that list and you see the fruit of those things in your life, begin to say, God, I do not want, as as we go back to... um, I think it's verse 18. I do not want the wrath of God to be revealed from heaven against the ungodliness in my life. I, Lord, I thank you that you you let your wrath on Christ on the cross. I can receive that into myself. I, I can take that. Now, let me walk in righteousness. I want to walk with you in righteousness. Um, and so, you know, the, the thing about this that's so powerful to me is that, yes, Paul is addressing the, the Jews in this time, and he's addressing, you know, the old covenant and what they were walking in and what it looked like, but it's extremely applicable to the place that the modern church has come to. If you can't look at the parallels of the children of Israel and what they went through and how they would follow God, worship idols, fall away. Follow God, worship idols. It's like this just constant back and forth. That's what, like the American church is in a having fallen away state. We're not in a pure devotion to Christ state. We're in a worshiping idols state. And so the the, the thing is, as we're looking at this, one thing that, that will help you as a believer, that will help you as a Christian seeking the truth, seeking understanding, seeking, if you're like me, seeking conviction. Like, God, convict in me the things that are wrong. Like King David's like, hey, the things in me that I don't even know are wrong, fix those things. God, convict me of those things. So if you're willing to pray that prayer, um, one of the ways that really is beneficial to read Romans is when Paul references the Jews, or he says a Jew this or Jew that, Think of that as saying Christian, a Christian this or a Christian that. And so as, you know, 18 through 32, when he's referencing the characteristics of the nation of God that has fallen away, think of the characteristics of the church that has fallen away or the characteristics of the believer that has fallen away. Don't make it some distant claim on people that you don't know. Personalize it and say, this is what the word is saying to me, I can't be living this way. I have to be pursuing the gospel, right? Remember, go back to the beginning, uh, verses 1 through 4, or actually verses 8 through 12. I'm sorry, verses 8 through 12. I want it to be said of me that the faith that I have and the way that I'm living is just a powerful tool of encouragement, right? So as we read Romans 1, we have these four categories. We have the greeting we has uh, we have Paul's feeling towards the Romans. We have the gospel power and its necessity, and then verse or the fourth section we have the problem with unrighteousness, or as you could say it, the need for righteousness. So as you finish Romans one, and we pray going into tomorrow, think about it this way: like you you end Romans one, saying okay. 
I'm starting to see a little something here. I'm seeing at the end of Romans 1 the necessity for why as a as a person who has the tendency to walk in unrighteousness when I'm not walking in the fullness of the gospel, when I've not allowed it to completely mold and shape my heart, I have a tendency to walk in unrighteousness. But this is what happens when I walk in unrighteousness. It's pretty clear. So this is why I need the righteousness of God, which is you know, the, the power of the gospel, which leads to the salvation of all those who believe, which leads to me being identified not with my sin, but with the righteousness of God. So hope that helped you. Hope that encouraged you today. Um, 20 minutes, I think, is about the mark we're at. And so I hope that it's not been too long. But um, just press in. A couple, I would encourage you to do this too. Something that I struggle with, that I am trying to put into practice, um, is that I make sure that I don't just sit down and read this. Um, whether it's you know in preparation for teaching or something, or whether it's my personal uh, time with the Lord, couple the scripture with prayer. Couple the scripture with sitting, having time to sit. Don't rush through this. Don't rush through reading just so you can check the tally mark for today. That's not the goal. Read it, meditate on it, think about it throughout your day, and be praying about it. Be praying the word. Be saying, God, how created me that faith, God. Show me how to walk in that faith. Show me how to walk in paths of righteousness. I don't want to walk in unrighteousness. And begin to just take the overall thought of what God speaks to you. It may not have been anything I said. It may be some some verse that I did not highlight that God just slammed you upside the head with today. Take that thing, read it, pray it, live it and let it become the word abiding in you and you abiding in the word. And, um, I just, I'm so excited to see what God does. I've really just, this is such an awesome book an awesome time with the Lord. And so I'm thankful that you're doing this with me and I hope that this has encouraged you and that, you know, as you go about your, your week reading and studying that God continues to speak and, and just love on you as you love on him. So have an awesome time and I'll see you back tomorrow. Thank you.